Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Jim Ross. Jim, what's going on, man? How are you? Conrad, I couldn't be better if I was. I'd be two fat twins. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, I had a hell of a day yesterday, my friend. Oh yeah. Man, yes, sir. I got my new refrigerator installed <laughs> and these guys bring it to me from Lowe's. Right. And my, my, uh, my handyman's there, Stevie neighbor, the best I've ever been around. He says, uh, they say, oh my God, it won't fit. He measured all of it. <clears throat> so I love that he's, they, he's talking smack to him. I said, boys, you're talking to a pro. That's a 30 second fix. So. I was kind of relieved to hear that, that my refrigerator, my wall didn't get rebuilt with my refrigerator in, but I had a, had a good week. I've been doing some grilling, uh, and, uh, I'm, uh, just having a great time. Well, let's get into it, man. The, uh, draft went down in San Antonio, as you said, on June 23rd, there's going to be a supplemental draft on the 25th. And for that, the draft picks are randomly selected, but the first 11 picks of the draft were done live on raw. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this is the sixth WWE draft before we get into this one in particular, what do you think of the concept of a draft? I thought the concept of having a draft to, uh, freshen up, uh, the, the various rosters. Remember at that time we had a raw roster, uh, SmackDown roster and an ECW roster. Uh, so. Um, I, I, I like the idea of being able to freshen it up and give the people that are fans of those particular programs, something new and fresh, create some new matches. Wrestling fans love new. They love to be surprised. They love, but, but certainly they love new. And, uh, I thought that would, the draft would be an opportunity to provide new, uh, to our fan base. And there's nothing more important than the fans. So, uh, in theory, Conrad, I like the concept of having a draft. Yeah, I think everybody does, you know, it's an opportunity to sort of shuffle the deck. And these days it feels like, uh, maybe Vince likes the idea, but he doesn't stick with it. I mean, now we've got this, uh, opportunity for guys to go back and forth after they just sort of reset the deck. Now it doesn't mean as much. And in talking about that concept with Bruce, Bruce would say that Sometimes Vince would just lay everything out on paper and like the way it looked. But then when, you know, he actually put the pieces in place, he didn't like it. And you know, his attitude was, well, we can always change it. How frustrating was that for you when you're maybe sometimes having to go talk to talent and say, listen, I know, you know, you've kind of got your travel situation where you've got a partner you've been running with, but 
we want to put a fresh coat of paint on you and we want to move you over here and you sell it and get them excited and they go. And then Vince a week later says, no, nah, I don't like it. Switch it back. I learned early on not to tell him anything until it was, uh, etched in stone and it's not etched in stone, unfortunately, until it's done. Right. Uh, so, uh, you just want to build up their hopes, uh, and anticipation. It's like saying, Hey, uh, you're gonna get a bump in, uh, uh your, on the car, well, the cards, this next pay-per-view and man, is your, is your payoff going to be great? Well, how can I say that? How do I know how many people are going to buy the pay-per-view? How do I know what the house is going to be until it's done? I can't do math in advance. Unless it sells out in advance type thing. And that was, that was somewhat rare. It wasn't like the AEW show in Chicago coming up that you and I'll be at. So, you know, it was just, uh, it was, a, it was a, one of those things you just, you, you played your cards close to the vest and a lot of people were pissed off, but they didn't, they weren't ignorant like me and spoke up, uh, and write about it, blog about it. Goddamn, just go on and on where I, even when I went back and did the research, I was kind of disappointed in my own, uh, actions to be quite frank about it, but I, I thought I had justification. I still do by the way, but a lot of people had rides. They travel together. People understand, have to understand when you're on the road as much as some of these men and women, and you get a system down, a riding system where somebody, this person rents the car and this person does this, uh, Lawler and I had that, for example. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I, I that we upset travel and here's the other thing nowadays, the ill-fated wrestling relationships, yep. which are always so tentative to begin with. Yep. No matter what somebody says, well, we're going to be different. I love him. I love her. I give, <laughs> I give up, I give up everything for her. Bullshit. You ain't giving up nothing because we're all egomaniacs and we're all alpha males and alpha women. We're not giving up nothing. It's all about us. It's always been about us. And that lovey dovey uh, stuff is so it's a work in a large degree. Now there have been some wrestling relationships that made it, but God bless them. But boy, I can tell you, uh, you just go back and do your history in WWE. When we brought nines and tens into our locker room, it changed the thinking of a whole lot of things. We've talked about that before. So, uh, I, I think that, uh, wait, hang on. Are you saying nines and tens the way I think you are? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, real tight. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss something there. No, we didn't. Well, we didn't hire any, you know, nope. that was Vince's deal. He wanted, he. Vince's thing of the women at that time was he wanted women that could theoretically, uh, in playboy, make a playboy cover, not just in playboy, make a cover. Mm. The cover was a key. I got you. So yeah, the cover was all, was where all the money was because you could, that way that, that face of that WWE superstar would, would be on these uh, covers all over the country at newsstands and so forth and so on. So, uh, that was his deal. So that was the whole thing. The game changed. So, uh, that's kind of where I'm at on that. And I said, I know it sounds old schoolish and look, I'm not going to legislate anybody's relationship. I don't care if it's a, a gay relationship, straight relationship, whatever, alternate lifestyle. I don't care. It's none of my business, man. It's none of my business. It's none of your business, folks. It's none of your business either, but I'm just telling you from history and precedent that wrestling relationships are a little challenging to, to deal with and how we got there on this topic. I don't have a clue. Well, we're talking about, you know, splitting up folks and maybe moving them back and just, you know, all the stress that the draft brings about, uh, the other thing that happens on this show though, that I got to tell you when I first picked this as a topic, I kind of forgot what was happening here. It's, uh, going down in the middle of McMahon's millions 
So the con the concept here is during the contest, McMahon is going to give away $1 million to WWE fans and he's going to come out on stage and he's going to have a telephone, uh, and he's going to dial a person and hopefully they answer. And if they do, and they know the password, then they could win a hundred thousand dollars. I can't believe that this was a real concept, much less one that happened in 2008. I know Vince did something similar to this years ago at one of the first in your house events. And you Mm -hmm. guys gave away a house, but this whole McMahon's millions, is this a Vince McMahon idea? Like, you know, he's looking for sort of the magic bullet to pump up some ratings and he thinks, well, goddamn, let's just give away some cash. It's all about the ratings. Everything they do is about the ratings. Uh, and same with any wrestling program, you want to get quality. You want to, some people have more, uh, you know, I think AEW, for example, is we're going to always try to have a great card and have great wrestling, but don't, don't uh, bullshit yourself, folks. It's always about the ratings when you're a television producer. And I believe that, uh, there was a company that somebody contacted or got contact with the, they got contact with WWE. There's a company that, that did these things because there's a lot of legal things that have to be adhered to, uh, so that are just, you know, so you don't get screw people around. And, but I do, I do pretty much recall that the monies we gave away was out of Vince's personal account. Mm. So I don't think it was WWE money. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd been, uh, publicly traded. He got, he got fat and sassy, a lot of money, still got a lot of money. And, uh, so I think it was his money that he did and he didn't want to to look bad on the company or, or, or raise eyebrows with the stockholders. So he, it was his cash. And, uh, but it was always about, can we increase the ratings with this contest, this tune in contest? That's all it was. Radio stations did every day. Yeah. Every day. Tune in, tune in, be the third caller here on, uh, F U C K radio. <laughs> Oh my God. That's so fun. So the, uh, the idea gets pitched, you know, Hey, let's, let's give away some cash. And, uh, is it Vince's idea or does Vince just bite on somebody else's idea? Do you recall where this germ of an idea came from? No, I don't. I think that, uh, it was a, probably as a result of some sort of, uh, brainstorming session to how do we, what can we do outside of wrestling to create an interest to get to tune in? to get people to tune in and how can we do this? Well, the one thing you can always go back to is in a brainstorming environment in that regard is how can we motivate them? Well, what motivates most people money? So there was a contest based on Vince's money, McMahon's millions. Uh, what do you call those things? You start uh, M like uh, alliteration. Yeah. He loves alliterations but he, almost as much as one could perceive. He loves uh, food and working out and whatever else he likes. But, you know, let's talk about that for a minute, because that's something that was very much the case. Brutus beefcake, red rooster. I mean, on and on and on, you know, Texas tornado. There's all, he really likes, I mean, you can go back as far as you want there. It's just all over him. Why, why is that? Is, it, is that a McMahonism? Nobody really talks about. It might be. He, he, uh, I think he wants to continue to prove that He's the Walt Disney of wrestling or he, for in his world, he's the Walt Disney of, uh, sports entertainment, uh, because he, it seems like 
there, there was a different points in his life where he's trying to separate himself or distance himself from the word wrestling. Uh, and that to me was a little bit distressing, but on the other hand, he's so smart and a lot of his minions around him are so smart. There's always plausible deniability. No, that's not it. Here's where the real reason. Well, you know, one of the reasons he would say is that the word wrestling in his view was offensive to wall street is offensive to advertisers is offensive to programmers in his view. I never agreed with that. Uh, I thought that they would look at wrestling like they would NASCAR or, or any other, any other, uh, you know, cult like following, uh, uh, entity, but that's, I think it's just his thing, man is, I don't know if it's a, if it's a matter of his insecurity. I don't know if it's a matter of uh, he's got a better idea. I mean, you got Kerry Von Eric coming in, who has a national name. The family's got a hell of a name. The Von Eric name has been prominent in wrestling since the 1950s. So you got established name identity talent and he, and he changed his name and he can't just be about, well, it's the, the wall street thing, or, uh, we need to own all of our intellectual property. What people forget to what people forget is that when you're under contract to WWE and the, and you're using a name that you maybe you, you had before WWE, uh, that you're still, they still control your IP intellectual property while you're under contract to them. So, uh, the, the deal was, is that it seems like me that guys would say, well, when I leave here, I can't use my, I can't use this name. And I thought sometimes that was a little nearsighted on everybody's part. We shouldn't have, I don't know why that's happening, but it could be an ego thing, insecurities that I can create. I can recreate this son of a gun and make him or her bigger than ever because we're, this is the WWE and that's what we do. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the concept here of the winnings. It was, it was written that one of the original ideas for the way the winnings would be broken down. One person gets 250 grand, two people get 200,000. One person gets 125. One person gets 98,000. <laughs> one gets 75,000. One gets $51,998. And one winner gets two bucks. Is, is that the most McMahon piece of humor we're going to talk about today? It might be. Figure the logic in that deal. <laughs> I, I, you can explore that one all you want, Conrad, but if you can come up with some, uh, something that makes sense out of those numbers, other than the fact you add them all together, you get a million, right? That's pretty much it. Uh, the, and quite honestly, I thought that the $2 winner was a little bit, was, was kind of half-ass entertaining, uh, you know, $2 bill type thing. So I, I, but still you got to really stretch your imagination and you got to really want to like this. And there's enough sycophants around there at that time. And I'm sure today that, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Oh my God. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, good. Well, good for you. Meltzer. Bless, bless your heart. Meltzer would be pretty critical of this. He would say the funny part of all this is even if the ratings artificially increase a little WWE doesn't get any of the ad revenue in the first place. And as a gimmick, it's probably only going to work for a short period of time. And there's no guarantee it'll work at all. If we go with the idea that USA pays WWE $550,000 per week for a 3.2 rating, that makes the value of a rating point to USA about 172 grand, which is actually a hell of a bargain. And if this increases a 3.2 to a 
McMahon will be spending a million dollars for what USA has valued at something of about a $34,000 value. So he's breaking down the, the particulars of, of the finances of this decision. Does somebody in the inner circle raise their hand and say, Hey, I know we could, I know we can, but should we, I mean, is this a good investment or when Vince well, sort of gets his teeth sunk into something, it's just fucking happening no matter what. Right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. If you, if you are in the booking committee, uh, and you're, uh, you're, you're sucking a uh, hind teeth there of the chairman, you are going to not, uh, in an, in any, in any kind of group environment, uh, disagree with something, you know, he's very passionate about you and they don't have the conviction. They meaning the committee, the, uh, booking the uh, shit, the, uh, writers, they're not going to cross the old man. And, and, and some, well, I used to, I used to, well, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. It's all, you've been gone 10 years. You didn't do nothing. You, you wouldn't say shit with a mouthful and you didn't. And I was, Hey, I've been in the same position. I'm not saying, but I did. No, I didn't either. When he's that sold on something, Conrad, it is a done deal. And no one in upper management, uh, did the math that Melser did to tell you that this is probably not the greatest financial idea that you could come up with. And it wasn't. Well, let's keep it moving here. <clears throat> Meltzer is going to say, cause this contest starts on June 9th and Meltzer says, even to McMahon, a million dollars is a lot of money, particularly if you're giving it away every week, but he's rich enough that he can afford it. It seemed a high price to pay, to try and jumpstart ratings. And no doubt seemed higher when the ratings came in. The June 9th show, the first week McMahon gave away a million dollars, drew a 3.03 rating and 4.59 million. It appeared McMahon had decided with the economic state that a one man lottery was key in trying to up the profile of a product that is not hurting except the prime numbers they internally look at and determine the mood of the company. The ratings continue to slide. With no advertising beforehand, money being given away was also brought to house shows with fans being picked out of the stands at the house shows in Reading and Stockton to be guest timekeepers and guest seconds, mostly picking out children and giving them each $200 for their efforts. And that's a nice gesture. I don't know that it encourages repeat ticket selling business when wrestling only comes to cities of that size once every few years, but it makes for a cool moment at the show. On raw McMahon gave away a million dollars to eight different people and making phone calls during the live show in Oakland, all of whom were watching the show and correctly answered WWE universe as the password. The live crowd got up for it, reacting like they were at a game show and not booing like some had feared. And, uh, they didn't appear to be any complaints after the show from those watching it live. So the first time you guys pull this off. You know, it's live TV and if people aren't going to answer or there's long stretches here, I mean, this is a major departure from the in-ring wrestling product that we're used to. I mean, this is a totally different concept for raw. You're sitting at the desk are the seconds just creeping by and you think, God damn, this is bad, but then it's not received bad. Or what was your take from the desk? Cause this is all going down. I thought this promotion was designed by non-wrestling people right. for a non-wrestling audience in the hopes of creating new viewers 
are getting disconnected viewers to return. It wasn't for a wrestling fan in as much as I mean that it wasn't the reason that a real wrestling fan was going to tune in to Monday night raw because I might win uh, part of this million bucks. Uh, that might be a, a distant caveat, but the reason wrestling fans watch a program such as we, many of us have produced and been a part of is because of the wrestling. And so when you don't want to be a wrestling company, you have, that's kind of a conflict of interest here in my view, <clears throat> pardon me. So, uh, I, I, it just, it was a, to me, it was a disconnect. It was a little side thing that might've been okay. We made a huge deal out of it. It was a million bucks, but I don't think it was a promotion designed for a true wrestling fan. And I, I just, I still see those issues within our business where things are done that are done for a non-wrestling fan, uh, or a not, not a fan of bell to bell action, uh, still to this very day, it's force fed and it's not a good thing. Let's, uh, let's talk about one of the follow-ups, um, Meltzer would write WWE plan to fly all eight winners to New York to do media with them, including a planned appearance on the today show and attending a press conference. I suspect they were looking at praising the success of the contest by noting the number of people signing up, but everyone knew the goal was to jump the rating. And it's going to be difficult for anyone to label week one as anything, but a failure. So when you're trying this, it's an experiment to try to pop a rating. It doesn't work, but, uh, Hey, we spent a million bucks on it. When the rating comes in, is everyone sort of scrambling to try to spin that this is still somehow positive? Or do people recognize this as being a miss? Well, I made sure that I did not talk about the rating to the old man because I would have been somewhat honest and said, well, this under, it was underwhelming. So I didn't want to go down that road. That wasn't a road I was willing to travel at that point in time. Uh, and as we will see later on in this discussion today, my outwardness and openness, uh, honesty sometimes was ill-advised and it, and it bit me in the ass. Uh, but I, I, nobody, when that rating came in, I don't know of anybody that flopped to get in line at the, uh, Vince's office in Stanford to say, Hey, congratulations, chief. Great job. You know, it, cause it, it, it's, that would have really been, he, here's the thing about that too. He knows you're, you're kissing his ass. Right. And he don't like it. He kind of likes it. It kind of feels good, but he don't want to, it's a one night stand thing. Okay, one night we can handle that. That's that's kind of what that was. It was a it was a one night stand type deal, and so he liked that part of it. But then after he, after the ratings came in, he thought about it. We'd already passed the point of no return, and he's you know hell bent on maintaining the course. And uh, the great promoters have always been willing to withdraw, like a great general, withdraw, regroup, and plan another attack that's going to work. And, uh, we did not do that. We steered the course because nobody wanted to admit publicly, especially to Vince in private or public that, uh, the idea sucked. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. Um, especially knowing what we know about, um, well, his quirkiness at times let's, let's keep going and let's talk about some other news and notes in the company specifically regarding 
Ric Flair. Now you may remember Flair has his retirement uh, match and swan song with WWE as far as being an in-ring performer at WrestleMania just a few months prior to this down in Florida and had quite the send-off the night before at the Hall of Fame and of course the, the day after WrestleMania on Raw and now he's looking to take some dates outside of WWE and that's allowed. Meltzer would write that he's going to appear at the NWA show at the Phillips arena to be inducted in the NWA wrestling hall of fame, along with the midnight express, Tommy rich, Nikita Koloff and the iron Sheik, and Cornette is going to be given a speech here as part of this. This goes down on June 6th and the letter, uh, of course, I'm making the offer is, um, what companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Well, it's attractive. Let's run through it. The letter said Flair's guarantee is $10,000 plus a hotel suite and limo transportation to the event. Flair will pay his old trans, his own trans to the event and bring merchandise bags with t-shirts, autograph photos, NWA swag, and sponsor merchandise. He'll appear at all the tapings coming out after the third match on the show and doing an interview talking about the city in which the show was being taped. And the way the deal works is they're encouraging promoters to charge a hundred dollars for the meet and greet. So that would generate $20,000 with 200 people, which gives them a nearly $10,000 profit on the deal. And flair appearing at that show will also help them sell some tickets. And a company has proposed a 30 date deal with flair, which is going to mean he's essentially guaranteed $300,000. So he's making deals with the NWA to not only appear at their hall of fame, but to hit some different shows across America. And this is all happening while he's under contract with WWE for somewhere in the market of $500,000 a year, just as an ambassador and seemingly just as fast as the deal came together, it falls apart. Uh, of course it is a Vince McMahon call, not wanting his wrestler to give credibility to a hall of fame other than his own. And he doesn't want one of his biggest stars appearing at some other shows, signing autographs. We know that ultimately this is going to be the beginning of the end of the WWE Ric Flair relationship for a little while. Were you surprised that this thing ever got off the ground? Uh, did Rick ask permission or get a green light or how did this get sideways so fast? I don't know, man. I, I was surprised that uh, to answer your question. Yes. I was surprised that it, uh, took off so fast and I, it was a little bit knowing Vince's, uh, uh, mindset on other promotions that, uh, I was surprised that it was even being discussed because I had assumed 
that Rick had sat down with Vince and said, hey, I got this opportunity. I can make some good money, blah, blah, blah. And they, Vince, oh, go ahead, pal. Go ahead, pal. No problem. You've earned it. So, uh, but I don't, apparently that conversation never took place. So I don't know who Rick talked to. Uh, and, and maybe he assumed that, uh, he was eligible to do this thing. Uh, and maybe he was theoretically, but then of course, if he's still under, it's still on paper to WWE, Vince McMahon's got, has got control. Right. So, so that's kind of where that was. I don't know where, uh, Rick got the thought. You know, I know Bob Provich is an attorney. He's a, he was the NWA guy for years and years. Uh, one of the players down there in Georgia back in the day. So, uh, it may have been that maybe Trovich had an idea. Well, not Rick's retired from WWE. Maybe he's eligible to do other things. And if he can do other things as we think he can, this would be a neat idea. Plus he'll make, as you said, you know, 300 grand for, uh, this, this, uh, this, this project. So I, I think it was a lot of assumption going on, uh, assuming it was going to be okay. But then when Vince thought about it, like he does so many times, he's going to see that good. We talk about plausible deniability. Why did you do that? I'm protecting my brand. That's what he would say. I'm protecting my brand. So you're here's my problem with that. Protect your brand by growing your brand. Don't protect your brand by stymieing the growth of other companies because it's not good for the overall wrestling business and whether you like it or not. Mr. Sports Entertainment, you are still in the wrestling business. I do want to, um, let's just get right into it because you were pretty vocal and it's reported on by Meltzer. Uh, Jim Ross noted that announcers can be included in the draft and that's not something he's happy about. Quote, I can't speak for the King, but I'm personally not interested in leaving Monday night raw. I hope that I didn't just jinx myself. Working regularly on another broadcast would feel strange at this stage of my game. Ross is believed to be financially secure as he has had a lot of big years when he worked full-time as head of talent relations and still earns a solid income doing raw working as a consultant and doing payroll. It's been clear for nearly a decade that he was more there because they've been able to find a replacement who fully understands the role in a youth oriented television business. With Michael Cole, Jonathan Coachman, Joey Styles, Mike Goldberg, and most recently <laughs> Mike Adamley, all either hired or put in the position to be his replacement. So we're going to talk about this a lot later. But in hindsight, when you look back and read that you wrote that, God dang, don't you think that just that? I mean, Vince McMahon at that point almost took it like a fucking personal challenge to do it. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Conrad. Very, you're very perceptive, and that's exactly right. It was my mistake to write that because inadvertently I challenged him. I have just always been so open with my fan base and the, and cause I'm still a fan. So we have a lot in common with me and these, these folks called wrestling fans. And I love them, but God dang, man, I, I messed up. I should not have ever, I, I didn't perceive that his ego was so goddamn fragile that he would take this as a personal uh, challenge because he and I had never had one conversation about me moving from raw to SmackDown, not one, but I, and I, and I wrote that, I guess maybe my fingers crossed that, well, this can't happen to me. Right. And I shouldn't have been as honest and upfront sharing my feelings and thoughts with the people that read my blog at that time. 
and uh, I screwed up in, in hindsight. I didn't set out to screw up. I didn't say, okay, I'm going to write this so I can see if I can piss Vince off. Sure. But it did, apparently, and I uh, wish I had not done it. Well, I'm sure we're going to talk about it a little more later. The The final Sunday night heat show was taped on May 26th in Denver. Um, Sunday night heat was an interesting concept. I mean, I guess at this point it's been around for 10 years or so. Are there any interesting Sunday night heat memories that you can recall? None. Uh, uh-uh. there, it was another show. It became to run together where it didn't have a lot of individuality or, or exclusivity. So it became another WWE branded show, same camera angles, same graphic fonts, same or, or similar. Nothing really stood out to on those shows to me other than it aired on Sunday night and it was a weekly show and all that good stuff, but no, nothing. It was unspectacular. Although there were times we had some good matches. I'm sure. Can't remember any of them right now, but to me, it was just another, uh, cookie cutter, uh, wrestling show because at that time, WWE was producing so much television that they didn't have time to venture too far outside the framework of their established formats. Therefore things kept looking the same. And I never think that's a good idea. You can't look the same. People want new. We talked about this earlier. Fans want new. So give them some new every now and then, and that can be in formats, lighting, graphics, music, pyro. Uh, but really it comes back down to, are you going to give them some good matches? At least one good match in that one hour show. And sometimes we had it. Sometimes we delivered. Sometimes we didn't. And sometimes you got to remember too, we talked about the AEW show Saturday night in uh, Daytona where these young kids are going to get their opportunity. Once the bell starts, it's up to them, man. They can't blame another soul in the world with themselves. If they don't, if they don't do great. Because it's all coming back to my point. It's all coming back to bell to bell and nothing bell to bell strikes me as something spectacular on Sunday night heat. Well, something that was spectacular is that you guys are getting your first major network coverage in Australia in years, uh, going to, uh, the middle of June and you're going to start having a Sunday 3 PM slot on channel nine, which is the number one station in the country. And the company had never been on the country's main station. They'd been on channel 10 during the eighties and for a few weeks in 2000, but ultimately it was canceled. But way back when Jim Barnett's world championship wrestling promotion in the sixties and seventies during the golden age of wrestling, uh, it aired here on channel nine, as did the U S version of WCW in the nineties. How big of a deal is this for you to get a major clearance like this in Australia? Huge, huge, healthy, uh, put another, uh, brick in the foundation of the company's global growth. Uh, you know, Australia's un- still untapped in a lot of ways, you know, uh, you and I should go down there sometime and do some shows. I'm sure we'd do well and the fa- fans would enjoy it. It's got a long tradition. And, uh, you know, when, uh, Mr. Barnett had his uh, thing going there a couple of years, oh my, my, my God, I printed money. Uh, and he did print money. Uh, he, and he, he had a great eye for bringing in top talents. You look at that roster of talents that Barnett brought in on, for channel 10 or uh, channel. Yeah. Channel 10, uh, the, the, or, or channel nine, I'm sorry, uh, that, you know, it, he had an uncanny eye for talent and, uh, and I've talked to Jerry Briscoe and I talked to Jack Briscoe who both had some time there and talking about how cool it was. They flew to all the shots and 
you know, great treatment, stayed in hotels that were really, really nice full time. And it was just great. They loved it. Guys love that, uh, that booking. It was just so far from home. You couldn't get back home to uh, other when your tour was over, uh, in, in all reality. So it was, uh, it was big, man. It was big. And I, I think again, it's still an untapped market and it should be cultivated more by somebody. But I, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the Australian fan base and what they have grown up to. And that's what happens when your, your number one wrestling show is on your number one television station that goes from border to border and coast to coast as being genius to say, uh, it just, it embeds. It's like the, it's like the towns like Minneapolis is it was the headquarters of AWA still Minneapolis for, as one example, like Dallas, Von Eriks, Minneapolis with Vern Gagne. It, it, has, it has tradition, uh, and it, it means something when you're the hub of a territory. So, uh, I, I thought we, that was a hell of a deal. I don't know that we capitalized on it very well. Uh, but again, the geography has something to do with that, but I, I thought it was a, it was a hit big score for us. No arguing there. Uh, big score for D'Lo Brown too. Who's going to get a shot to come back. He signed here. Uh, I think most people think of D'Lo as being there from like 97 to 03. Uh, but he's coming back here and, uh, Meltzer would write most likely this is part of Vince's wanting African-Americans on television. Part of it is because of a decrease in the demo and the ratings and part with Booker and Lashley leaving and any racism controversy stemming from having Hayes on the creative team makes them a sitting duck for future controversy. If they don't push African-Americans, whether justified or not, WCW was taken to the cleaners and it wasn't justified that there are any more or less than it would be justified as here now that Hayes is a public target and this bring is being brought back. So I guess we should briefly mention that, uh, there's a conversation that goes down, uh, I believe after WrestleMania weekend with, um, Mark Henry and, and Michael Hayes. And, uh, the fallout of that is, uh, Hayes goes home. But after being in timeout and, and, and paying the consequence and losing his title and some stock options and whatever other ramifications there were, they're making a play to bring him back here because he was a valuable contributor to the team is bringing in a D'Lo Brown as, as Dave Meltzer saying a sort of a, a CYA moment for WWE. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Although I've always said D'Lo is a very underrated talent. I liked his work. You know, uh, again, we talked about the, uh, infamous, uh, uh, chest protector that we put on him. I, I was my, my idea, good or bad. And, uh, but D'Lo is a very underrated talent. So, but the fact that D'Lo was a uh, college guy, well-spoken former college football player, a lot of, a lot of good things to talk about and build about. You want to get a, if you're going to have a black baby face, he's got to be a role model type guy because you know, no matter your color, your, eth- your ethnicity is irrelevant. You're, we're all looking for positive role models for our, for the younger fan base. And, uh, you know, and D'Lo could have certainly been that, uh, but yeah, it was part of that whole plan. And, you know, in Michael Hayes's defense, not defending his racist, uh, I, the comments that he made to Mark Henry, first of all, Michael's very, very lucky that Mark Henry didn't break him in half because that would not take him very long. Uh, but, uh, Mark did not out of respect. And, uh, but I think a lot of that right there, I might be wrong about this Conrad. I think some of that, uh, that racial rant that Hayes allegedly had with Mark Henry was, uh, alcohol fueled because Michael would 
would, well, you know, he was a Jägermeister guy at one time and he, and you know, he still could be not, he still thought he had to be a free bird. He didn't free birds have passed. God bless them. But I think that, that Michael stopped the, the, uh, over the excessive drinking. I think that it helped a lot of his issues there because I don't perceive that Michael's got a bad heart, but you know, sometimes we're products of our environment. That's no excuse now, folks. It's no excuse, but you know, Michael's raised in, you know, uh, in, in Pensacola area and, and the South and, you know, there's just a, there was a culture cultivated there. Conrad, hell you're, you're living in Alabama, you know, uh, you know, I, I've less of it for an Oklahoma cause we're, we have more native American issues than we had, uh, African American issues here, uh, by and large, but I think Michael's issues were the, were the drinking thing, but yeah. He, so Michael came back, rehabilitated, different mindset, clean and sober. Uh, and so he's been there ever since. So it was a good save and he got a second chance and luckily for him, he's made the most of it, but it, the whole, that whole issue was a very, uh, tentative. It was just very, uh, implosiveness was what the word I would use. It could implode at any time, but, uh, we needed to become more diverse and still that old wrestling promoter thing where I said, well, we've got one, meaning we've got one black on our roster. That's all we need. I've heard that conversation I had with bookers and territory owners in person on more than one occasion. And it wasn't from cowboy who's the, you know, has a reputation of the, being a, a racist by the Hank Aaron thing and all that stuff. He's, he's, probably the most open-minded guy of the ones I'm thinking about because Bill didn't have any quota on how many African-Americans could be in Mid-South, none whatsoever. So but it was an interesting time. Yeah. So that the, the idea of getting more diverse was smart, but it took something somewhat drastic to get them to move the needle. And that, that in itself was unfortunate. You know, let me, two things I want to ask about that. Cause I don't know when we'll talk about, you know, race and WWE again. I heard through the grapevine years ago that, um, when Stuart Scott passed away and ESPN, you know, gave a lot of praise and, and well do respect to all of his contributions that that sort of struck a chord with Vince and Vince had almost like an edict that there's gotta be an African-American on all of our shows behind the desk. So we saw, if you go back to your timeline, you see um, David and Byron and a lot of other guys added to that announce desk or once upon a time, it was a two man booth. Well, now it's a three or maybe even a four, because we want to make sure that we have our, our sort of Stuart Scott. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so first of all, Stuart Scott was an amazing human being. Uh, he connected with, the, with, with everybody seemingly to me, uh, black or white. Right. Uh, and any other color you want to create. So, uh, that was, I, I could get that. I, I felt very moved because Stuart has small children. He battled cancer so gallantly. And, uh, so he, he was really a special, uh, individual, not just a, not just a talent, but a, a human being. I think that whole thing kind of, uh, got Vince's attention, but again, it, it, you have to ask the question and I don't know if I have, I don't think I have the answer. Why did it take so long? Right. Why did it take things like this to, uh, open everybody's eyes of that? We can be so much better. We can be so much more diverse. We can provide more opportunities for everybody that no matter their skin color, if they got the talent, they should be booked no matter what their 
their skin tone might be. This it should be irrelevant, but that's my point of this whole deal. Why did it take certain triggers to be utilized before we, I was there too. We all made a deci that decision because remember I came from a territory with a black booker, a black top baby face, a top black heel, the whole mid South was a different ball game. So I was, you know, Cowboys favorite color was not black or white it's green. And so, and, and if you were a, a person of any color and you can put an ass every 18 inches, since we talked about that earlier, you're a star when you sell tickets, you're a star when you put an ass every 18 inches, because that's how we all made our money was on ticket sales. That was it. So, uh, uh yeah, I, I, I just, it's, it's sad, but here's a good thing about it to not throw WWE on the bus. They've done a hell of a job now with, uh, diversity. And I think that's, it's time. I, I, I applaud them for that. And I hope that they continue. And I think any black athlete would say, we don't want to be here just because of our skin color. We want to be here because we can play. We want to be here because we can contribute. We're going to be here because we're good at what we do. That's the thing. And so hopefully that'll, that growth will continue as, so as we move forward. Let me ask about the hall of fame. That's the last thing I want to touch on, on race, uh, briefly. It feels like there is almost a formula now for, you know, the way they, they roll these inductions out. You gotta have one tag team. You gotta have one lady. You gotta have one African-American. Yep. Fill the quotas, check all the boxes. You know, uh, the tag team thing is, uh, probably the least of probably the prior priority number three. Right. Uh, but the. Uh, a female and an Af and a, and a person of color is essential. And so sometimes you wonder, are we getting the best class for what on their own merits or, uh, we already have, so we can't have two females because we already have one, the same old deal back to the same. We got one same thing with, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, same thing with, uh, the, the, uh, uh, black situation. Well, we got, we got a black, so we don't need any more black hall of famers. And I think that's the, the thing that stands out there. And I've heard, I've heard hall of fame guys talk about this and I don't, and begrudgingly to me, I had to listen is when Coco Ware got inducted into hall of fame. A lot of people didn't think Coco was deserving of it, right? but, but he got in because he was African-American and you know, there's, there's always going to be some of that discussion going on, but I, I think that that's. There's why I don't know what, how do you, how do you address this Conrad? How would you address this thing? Would you say, why don't we just get the best class? Yeah. No, I mean, matter, no, maybe you got, maybe you got five blacks. Who cares if they all deserve to go in? Does it matter? It doesn't matter in the NFL. It sure as hell doesn't matter in the NBA. So why should it matter to, uh, a, a fictional sport? I don't get it. It's all about casting. So that all that can be, all that can be controlled. It's all it's subjective casting. And I, I think that that should be reevaluated. Well, you guys are going to be casting a new head of legal, uh, senior vice president. Cause Ed Kaufman, he's going to be leaving the company imminently. According to Meltzer's report, he says, not sure of the reasons or whose choice it was, but he was one of those guys who showed up at 7am and he's still there at 7pm. He's on call constantly, even on the weekends, uh, because the company always had some kind of legal issue. Ed Kaufman is a name that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with, but he was with the company for a while. What leads to his departure here? 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. I don't know if there was one incident that he dropped the ball on or, or the perception was that he dropped the ball. And I think some, maybe some similar to my situation. I think sometimes Vince just gets tired of you. And people are going to say, well, that's not a good reason. No, of course it's not a good reason. But when you own the game, you own the ball, you own the uniforms, you own the teams, you own the stadiums, then that's, you can do that. So I think that Ed probably somewhere along the way, I would say this is probably more of a cumulative thing and, uh, Ed's communication skills when he, when he, uh, probably disagreed with Vince or said, Vince, we shouldn't do this. And here's why might not have been as, uh, uh, to Vince's liking. And so cumulatively over time, all that adds up and boom, there you go. So, uh. You know, I think a lot of it is just he gets bored, he gets tired of you, uh, and any the, the little things accumulate, and then there you are. So Ed did a good job. Ed, Ed, Ed did a good job. We were growing like crazy. I was hiring talent right and left, right and left, getting contracts done. Was uh, you know we had a we had a deal there. It was just a good system. Ed and I met every Thursday, without fail, every Thursday, uh, and I would meet with Ed. Liz DeFabio, who was Linda's uh, uh, assistant, and Beth Zaza, who was uh, Vince's assistant. And uh, we met every Thursday in my office at 10 a.m. And they would we'd go over everything, the legal side, whatever, whatever. And if there were things on their agenda they wanted to ask me about regarding talent, we talked about. But we had always had great meetings. I love those. Those were probably my favorite meetings there because they were objective. Uh, they were lighthearted. Nobody stood on ceremony. It's good stuff. Ed did a nice job. I just think he got caught in a, you know, a, a tough situation where, uh, Vince got tired of looking at him. Hey, I, I, there's another, he's not the only guy that happened to, and I'm not even talking about me, but that's, that's what you have. You have a very eccentric, uh, unique owner. And sometimes they make very eccentric, unique decisions. Let's talk a little bit about the next, uh, million dollar giveaway. It's June 17th. It does a 3.3 rating, 5.21 million viewers. Uh, in case you're keeping up, that's better. The rating is actually the best for raw since April 7th, which is the most viewers for a raw episode since the flair retirement show the day after WrestleMania, uh, the average viewer age is 35 years old, 69% male. And they do a 3.3 rating in that male 18 to 49 demo, which is up 10% from the prior September. And, uh, McMahon is interviewed by the score, which is the company's Canadian broadcast partner. 
And he's talking about this uh, concept. And he says, sometimes even I can't believe the ideas we come up with. And this is not necessarily one of my better ideas, giving away my personal money. It's a total of 1 million every Monday night. Last week, we had one lady from Texas win $2. And we had another gentleman from Wisconsin win 250,000. And I must admit, it gave me more pleasure to give away $2 than it did the 250,000 surprise. It's, yeah. Mr. McMahon, <clears throat> he's, he's staying in character, speaking in plausible truths. Uh, you know, it probably wasn't his best idea. Well, obviously it wasn't his best idea, but, uh, you know, he's he, one thing he handed to Vince. There's a, there's a reason he was the number one heel we had in the attitude era. He was good at it. He loved it. He embraced it. He stayed in character and his, he didn't play a fictional person. He played an extension of himself only rack ratcheted up. So, uh, I applaud the fact that he did that. Uh, but you know, we that show got a good rating. Here's the other thing about that. What was on the card that night? What have we built to push that card? So I don't know that sometimes the, the, uh, the million dollar giveaway gets credit when it might not deserve all that credit and the sphere of hell got some blame when it probably didn't deserve all the blame. If we had booked cards that people wanted to see or, or couldn't miss this match, couldn't miss how this scenario has evolved and developed, uh, you know, that's, that's still where they tune in. So I, I I'm uh, I was never a big fan of this million dollar thing. It just took away from what we did. It took away from our core product so that we could be more sports, sports or sports entertainment oriented. And, uh, uh, and, and we, and we didn't cater to the diehard wrestling fan, our core audience that whatever you do, folks, you're a marketer and you can discover who your audience is and you figure out your ways to reach them. You're a good marketer then, but never take your core for granted because they can damn sure move their address elsewhere. Let's talk about, uh, an award that McMahon won. Uh, and this is the most McMahon story we'll probably cover today. Vince McMahon morphed into Mr. McMahon when getting a lifetime achievement award from the Promax DBA conference for his work in global marketing, advertising, and promotion. In his speech, he said, I truly deserve this. <laughs> it's probably something you won't hear anybody else say. And when they asked him how he came up with the million dollar giveaway idea, he says that process is called insanity. And he does say that ideas take more than three weeks to work and you can never dictate to your audience, but rather you have to give your audience what it is they want, but not be afraid to take risks. And Meltzer would say that's so funny because he creative, everyone is of the impression that they dictate to their audience and use the audience feedback to a degree, but virtually everyone in creative has said their job is to create what they think Vince McMahon wants and not necessarily what they think the audience wants. Well, nothing's changed. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that, he, that's accurate. That's I, accurate. A friend of yours, uh, three years ago told me at this point, nothing else matters. We're all playing for an audience of one. Yeah. And that just, I don't know why, but the way he delivered that he or she rather, I was like, oh man, I never really thought about that. But I mean, that's what everybody's looking for. Yeah. It's nice to have the crowd reaction. Yeah. You want the rating, but what you really want is when you come through the curtain and gorilla and look over at the headset and you get the big thumbs up, that's all that matters. Right. Bingo. Exactly. Uh, it is an audience of one. And my thoughts are on that. My questions would be, 
uh, in response to that is um, regarding that decision and that that philosophy. Is it because Vince is so insecure that if it's not his idea, then it's not a good idea. Hence changing the names of established talents that came in, uh, you know, we mentioned Texas tornado earlier, or is it the fact that he just doesn't have the confidence in his team around him to allow them to make decisions and to create content. And he, and so, because he's such a smart man that anybody knows in a creative world, Conrad, that the last thing you want to do is to piss in the Cheerios. It's just, I mean, Cheerio goes better with milk than piss. So why are we, why are we doing, why are we putting a negative cloud, a black cloud, if you will, over creative, come up with all the stuff you want to come up with. And, but then he's still got to, you still go back to that one thing. Does Vince like it? And so again, you go back. So now if I want to continue to my tenure, you think Ed Kosky has been there forever, uh, and, and, and as a writer wants to, uh, piss and Vince's Cheerios. Of course not. He's a smart guy. So I, I think that, uh, it's a culture there in that regard that may not be the healthiest for creative. And, uh, and, and the creative process, because again, black cloud's got to go away when you're creating. doesn't mean you're going to have to use every idea, but you got to let people have free flowing thought to create neat things. And you got to plan, which they don't do now. seemingly everything seems to be liquid. You got to plan long-term. You got to plan long-term. I love the fact that when we did our show, uh, uh, Starcast, and we did, and we had the, the big show for AEW, uh, double or nothing. That uh, that the plan was already in place for what they're going to do on their next big show, which is Labor Day weekend in Chicago. The plan was in place, and I didn't ask all the questions I probably could have asked. I didn't, but I know that the game plan was in place, and I can tell you that. My last several years in WWE, that would not have been the case. I, uh, I gotta tell you that, uh, the thing that I sort of cringed at watching this and it went better than I remembered when we watched this draft show was the, the making phone calls part, because I've seen that go so poorly on some of the other shows that they tried this on. I know back in like SummerSlam 97, Pet and Gill was trying to give away something with stride X or whatever too. Um, Meltzer would write this, even though it appeared things had changed regarding the phone calls being fixed on the raw giveaway, the company handling the prizes and giving Vince, the phone numbers had contacted all the people about an hour before the show was to start in order to make sure that they would be home and watching the show. They weren't told when they would be called or what prize they could be winning, but were told to stay by the phone and to make sure and watch the show. That sort of seems like a no brainer. Why did that take a few weeks for people to figure out? Uh, because I don't think it was important enough to their, in their lives or important enough as a fan to give a damn. I don't know that people, you know, I, I just don't see, uh, nobody made an emotional investment in the damn thing. If they had, we'd have had huge ratings. We'd have done fours or something, you know, or big numbers, which again, in today's world seems small compared to what we did in the attitude era. But, 
that, of course, that attitude there is the one that where uh, there's a lot more talent in the locker room uh, by their own admission than there was in the attitude era. The difference is the attitude era guys actually sold tickets. They sold out the garden on Christmas week, that type thing. There's a lot of little benchmarks, little things you can check off. Did this happen? Nope. This, nope. But we're over. We're making a lot of money. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 it was again, it's, it's a basic old radio tune in thing, man. That's all it was. And it, it just didn't feel organic. It didn't feel good. It just, it didn't feel like, again, the wrestling fan was being catered to and you can't stop catering to your fan base. You just can't. You and Jerry Lawler are going to introduce the show and you explain that after every match tonight, the winner will get to draft a wrestler to his brand. That's a fun concept and adds a new, nice little dimension to the draft. Uh, Michael Cole and Mick Foley then talk briefly and were followed up by Mike Adamley and Taz. So we've got three sets of announcers here on the, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Jim, is when I watched this back for the first time in a long time this week, is I heard near the top of the show, Mick Foley sort of suggests, Hey, by the end of the show, I might be broadcasting with Jim Ross. Yeah, now, he was. Now, of course, I didn't know that that was going to happen, but you got to think he knew and he was just, I don't know that he knew. I don't think so. I think that's just Mick asking questions, proposing more questions or scenarios that may or not happen. They were all, you know, plausible it could happen because all the announcers were, uh, eligible for the draft. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that he knew, I don't think he knew that's my take on that deal because he and I discussed this before and, you know, I enjoyed working with Mick and of course, Mick, Mick, uh, didn't last long after we started doing that show because he couldn't take the way he was produced and how he was spoken to. So, uh, that was short lived anyway, but I don't think he knew Conrad. I really don't. Our first match is triple H and Mark Henry. You and Foley do commentary on this match. We haven't talked about you broadcasting with Foley before. How was he as a broadcast partner? Good. Uh, it's such a, unless he screamed at or belittled, uh, he was always so even keel and he had no issues endorsing a talent. In other words, the old wrestling vernacular getting talent over Mick was very good at that. It's it, 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 his work in the ring and his work at the announce desk. He had a great future there. Hey, look, he's a brilliant guy. He, he's writing, writing books. He's, he's, he's a wordsmith. He's got a good, uh, grasp of the vocabulary. He has great product knowledge. Uh, and so. You know, he's probably the only guy in the business who could make me look half-assed good looking. Uh, but, and that takes some work, but I, I love working with him because he's just a reliable guy and he loved what he did until it ended. And that sounds ridiculous, I guess, but well, maybe that's all of us, but it just did not end well for him in that role. And so that was, but he was fun, man. He was, he's a good dude. We, and he's funny. He didn't want to be dramatic. He just had a good sense of timing. Well, here's a surprise. Triple H won. Oh, can't believe it. Uh, so raw wins the draft pick and, uh, it's a random selection and it comes up Ray Mysterio and, uh, Ray comes down the ramp, slaps some, uh, hands of the fans. And you say, you don't know how they could have started any more significantly. And then Ray shakes Hunter's hands. And now it's Lawler plugging that McMahon's million dollar mania is next. Uh, Vince comes out, talks about Ray being drafted, explains the rules of the contest. There's going to be five people who win 
100k each and one person will win 500,000 smackers he says and he has kelly kelly help him with the giveaway how do you think kelly kelly did here oh she could she could uh i don't know she could just be staring at things and do good for me uh <laughs> she's a she's a beautiful she was, is was and always will be one of the most beautiful women that we ever signed great smile really good i'm getting i'm getting I need Where's my blue chew? God damn it. Uh, Kelly is a uh, great and I, she did wonderful, but you know, he's going to get a, he's got to get his own van of white. That's what he had to do. He had, and so she was perfect for that role. I'm surprised that somebody in Hollywood didn't snatch her up. Well, uh, Vince snatched her up and, uh, has her as the assistant here. And then when they get the caller on the phone, she says the password was not a champions and Vince laughs and says, that's not the password and you're a loser. And Lawler interjects that it was right. And then Kelly corrects Vince and says, no, that's right. So he says he stands corrected awards her the money and Kelly begins dancing. What a fucking segment. <laughs> I know it was a train wreck, man. Maybe that's maybe, maybe train wrecks are good. Sometimes I, I don't disagree with that, but yeah, it didn't start off too auspiciously. Did it? It did not. Uh, we've got uh, a little bit of a backstage interaction with John Cena and triple H here. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Lance Cade and Chris Jericho. Um, triple H says they've tiptoed around things, but now it's personal. You're never going to be as good as me. And they're trying to set up the, the world title feud with him and John Cena. Our next match is Santino Morello and, uh, Carlito taking on fit Finley and Hornswoggle. This match is, uh, it, I guess it is what it is. Got a little bit of uh, humor in here. Got a tadpole splash for the win. And then SmackDown drafts Jeff Hardy. who's randomly selected on the big screen. So essentially Ray and Jeff Hardy are going to flip flop. Um, Randy Orton walks out, joins McMahon on the stage. He's got his arm in a sling and he's saying that he's going to be back and he's better than ever. And he's only here because he's forced to be here for the draft. And he's got a message for C9 triple H. He doesn't care who's champion because when he's back, he's going to be champion again. And here we go. We're going to give away a hundred grand. Um, then he asks, Hey, who's going to win edge or John Cena? Because he is announcing that the main event tonight is edge and John Cena for edges title. Uh, she of course says, uh, triple H is going to win at the pay-per-view and then you got to start hyping edge and Cena and a, uh, 15 man tri branded battle Royal. So I guess five guys from each brand yeah. and the winner will get two draft picks. The next match, man, this was uh, weird to watch Cody Rhodes teaming with hardcore Holly to take on Chavo Guerrero and bam Neely and Ted DiBiase jr. Is going to join on commentary. Knowing what we know now, watching wrestling from 11 years ago, it's kind of weird. In what way? I don't know. It's just weird to see Cody Rhodes not being the Cody Rhodes that we know of AEW and seeing teaming with Hardcore Holly. That almost seems like a fever dream. And Ted DiBiase Jr., who once had such an upside and you thought was going to be a fixture in the business for a long time. Fast forward to today, not even in the business at all. Uh, Bam Neely, I don't know that I could have picked him out of a lineup. I mean, it's just. It's weird how much wrestling changes in in just 10 years. Yeah, you're right. It does. And the evolution of the business is that way. And I, 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 I like it quite frankly, 
as long as you are true to core, as long as you're true to the fundamentals of the game. And, uh, and of course, I'm not going to get started on that. I saw much Jim Cornette. God damn it, Conrad. You pissed me off, you fat bastard. God damn Kenny and me. So, you know, Tim, I, I, I can't. Uh, I'm with you. I, it has changed. And you're perceptive to fucking see that. I, I appreciate that. It's, <laughs> you, you, you're right. It has changed a lot. But that's good. It's good as long as you protect your home base. But when you start building little outbuildings for your entertainment fans, it takes away the focus on home base. And that's a problem. Well, CM Punk is out next. He's drafted to raw. So he's going to walk onto the stage. He's got his money in the bank briefcase from WrestleMania. Uh, and then we see Jericho walk to the ring wearing a very, very 2008 shirt. Uh, and he says that Shawn Michaels medical condition has been uh, kept somewhat under wraps. And we're of course building to probably one of the better feuds that nobody really talks about with Jericho and Shawn Michaels. And, uh, we're getting some clips from before where, you know, he was throwing him into the Jeratron 2000 or whatever it is. Uh, and he's going to involve Lance Cade here because Lance Cade has inserted himself into this. Of course, he was one of the, uh, trainees for Shawn Michaels wrestling Academy, you know, seven or eight years prior to this. And he's going to interview Cade on the big screen and, and Cade's going to acknowledge the past. And he's going to say, unlike Sean, Chris, you're a man, you tell it like it is. You're someone I can trust. And he has this nasty attitude towards Sean because he knew if he ever made it big, Sean would pretend to be his friend, but really try to undermine him and turn his back on him. And, uh, now that we're, you know, present day, Sean Michaels music is going to play and he's going to jump Jericho and um, this is just good stuff. I, I think, yeah. I don't think enough people talk about this feud from 2008, uh, the, but it is one of the more well done angles of the year. Two great talents love to work with each other. As I understood it, uh, had great chemistry. Uh, they had the, the one trait that you got to have an issue like that. And that is to be unselfish. So they sold for each other. Well, they, uh, they reacted to the other's moves or moose sets and their, 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 their signature things. Well, so yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a great booking and, uh, you know, you're not going to be, that's, that's just a great memory, but Conrad, you're right. People that haven't experienced the Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, a rivalry storyline in that, in that period of time should go back and re-examine it because I thought it was, I never saw the guy, those guys have a bad outing. They just had it. And, and they also had this, they also had big egos, uh, and they also had this alpha male swagger cause neither guy was a giant. Neither guy was, you know, six, three, two sixty. Uh, they had, they had always had a chip on their shoulder, which I love. So, uh, they had, that was a show stealer almost every night that they worked. There's nothing else in the card that was going to be better than HBK and, and Y2J just wasn't. Yeah, go out of your way to see this angle. This is another piece of it. Uh, Jericho is going to throw Shawn Michaels bad back into the corner of the announce table. Michaels is going to, uh, wince and grab his eye. And I mean, he's in bad pain. They're really getting over the, oh, he's got a bad back and Jericho's just re-injured it. Good stuff here. Uh, Taz is going to join Michael Cole on commentary and he's going to say that ECW can't be happy about losing punk. Um, then we're going to get Vicky Guerrero before the next match. She's going to be wheeled out by Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. 
And she says that originally Ryder and Hawkins were going to be opponents for Miz and, and Morrison, but recent events have changed that. She returns to the back and the Hardy boys music plays. Uh, so Matt Hardy is going to be joined on stage by Jeff Hardy and it's Miz and Morrison and the Hardys here instead. I find this interesting because we're essentially splitting up the Hardys at the conclusion of this match. Matt Hardy is going to go to ECW. Jeff Hardy has just uh, switched over to SmackDown, but we're putting them together just one last time. What do you think of that? Uh, didn't have a problem with it. Uh, so assuming we don't know that that Matt's going to be drafted. It was just, it was another Hardy boys match. The only thing we knew conclusively was that Jeff was changing brands. Uh, and, uh, but I don't know that I, I, I just believe again, old school thinking the Hardy boys are a unit. They're right. like, they're as one. I, it's like the Briscoes, uh, and, and including the Briscoes and ECW are in the uh, ring of honor now who I, I like, but the Jack and Jerry, you just expect to see one without the other. When I read old clippings, I see uh, Jerry was in a tag with somebody else. That was only because Jack wasn't available. Uh, he was on the road oftentimes as the NWA champion. So, uh, I, I just always felt like the Hardys have more value to the company together than it did separately. Of course, there is exceptional, you know, when uh, I remember the match we called, uh, Jerry Lawler and I called with undertaker and Jeff Hardy was a, one of the more memorable moments of, uh, of, of that, of, of, of WWE television for me. Uh, but, but Jeff always was the one that seemed to have most of the charisma, to, su to su succeed as a singles, but I don't think that any of the, if they weren't going to make a commitment to go long-term with Jeff, you just can't replace that chemistry they had and the value they had as a team of legitimate brothers. And we always told a good story about them, you know, and they're, you know, raised by a single dad, blah, 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 uh, and all true. So I, I, I don't, again, this part of this whole damn draft, who did it at the end of the night, we'll talk about this at the end, but who did it really help? I, I think it helped the only person I could think of right now so far, obviously is punk going punk going anywhere is going to help that brand. That's how uh, he was just getting ready to explode. Uh, and him going to raw was a big get for Monday night raw without a doubt. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, the next match, but before we do, I want to ask about the pop, because when, when the Hardys come out together there, I mean, it's a big reaction. One of the biggest yes. of the night at this point, does Vince in the back when he knows, okay, well, we just put Jeff on SmackDown. And even though Hardy's carrying a non ECW title, we're about to put him on ECW. Does he second guess that when he hears the reaction or is he just steadfast and well, this is the direction we're going. The latter, uh, he may have, in, you know, in his own mind, which I'm very happy. I can't read. Uh, if I could have, I could avoid a lot of this shit. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't think it changed his mind whatsoever. It was a feel good pop. You know, we're going to, we're going to, what we're going to do is going to be better. We're going to do better. It's just funny because, you know, he says the audience dictates what we want, but I mean, even there in that example, you're like, nah, other way around. Exactly. Um, Back to Vince on stage. He's going to reminisce about giving away $2 and $16. And he's laughing about a fan whose answering machine picked up. And then he introduces Ric Flair who comes out, dials a the number. They get Donna on the phone. She knows the password. She wins a hundred grand. And then 
I mean, completely randomly, the ring announcer said the following match was an announcers only draft where the commentators, ring announcers, and interviewers are eligible. It's going to be Mickey James and Molina tagging up against Natalia and Victoria. Uh, very quick match. And, uh, at two minutes, Molina's going to sell an ankle injury after being shoved off the ring apron onto the floor. Mickey's going to get out to check on her. Molina is going to apologize to Mickey. They start fighting. The ref calls for the bell and, uh, Adam Lee says it's a DQ. And you ask, what does that mean? And the ref <laughs> rules it a DQ. And as a result, both SmackDown and raw will get a draft pick because it's a double disqualification. So yes. Yes, double disqualification. And we didn't mention that uh, I worked with Adam Lee, and we obviously Adam Lee and I were together, which is another train wreck. Uh, God bless him. He has some issues, no doubt, and uh, nice guy. And I love this football play, and he's five nine running back, survived. So we should mention guy. when you said he has some issues, some people are going to hear that and think that you meant like he um, he had some sort of drug problem. I think he had, uh, no, I don't think that's not what I'm referring to. He um, has dementia and CT and CTE. It, yes. Yeah. And so, and it, that had not all come to light. Right. He, that, therefore some of his erratic behavior that was reported that he had, uh, distant, uh, isolated before a show, uh, was just perceived as he's just weird, but the bottom line, and it's not, and it's not, and it's, just, it's nothing to joke about. The CTE stuff is, we're going to see more and more of that as we go forward, uh, in our lifetimes, but yeah, he's, he was, he had that, he had those issues and, and the dementia is real. People that have family members, uh, that have, that suffer from it, know exactly what you and I are talking about. And so, uh, but you never knew where Mike was going to come from. And that's the other thing, Mike Adamley, if I recall correctly, was a guy that Dick Ebersole sold Vince McMahon on. Or if he didn't sell him on it, he influenced the decision making. So, uh, because Mike had worked for Eversole doing uh, NFL football and NBC back in the day, and they became pals. Uh, so, and Mike was a nice guy. He's a fun guy to talk to when he was, you know, lucid. It's but worth that's, mentioning too. Mike Adamley is a lot older than people think. He's seventy years old. Yeah, he's older than he was older than me at the time. And, and I just think a lot of times, you know, people think Mike Adamley is a much younger man, but when he was out there struggling, he's out there struggling. Uh, I think he's having epileptic seizures at the time and uh, he was diagnosed with dementia a few years ago. And because of his football days and knowing what we know now about head trauma, uh, they've determined that he's probably a victim of CTE. So, you know, I, I know that he's sort of a footnote on, on in history because he pronounced Jeff Hardy's name as Jeff Harvey and a few other things that were just missteps. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing what we know now, it kind of feels mean spirited that, you know, assholes like me were sort of ha ha. He fucked his name up. Well, no, he's like really struggling and we didn't know. No, we didn't know. And we got to wish him the best and, and all, you know, seriously, uh, and anybody else that suffers from those ailments, uh, just, uh, maladies are bad. Uh, but Mike was on paper. Mike had a great resume. But nobody says a damn thing about, do you have product knowledge? Right. And I, Conrad, you know, if I'm going to get a mortgage, I'm going to come see you because I know you have product knowledge regarding the mortgage business and that game. 
And uh, you, you got to have that to be successful in business. You got to have product knowledge of what you're selling, what you're promoting, what you're managing, what, what world you're in. You need to know about what is that world. So, but Mike just didn't have that, you know, he was not a wrestling fan to any degree and certainly not a student of the game. So, and like a lot of guys that come from mainstream sports, they look down at wrestling. I don't know if they did or they didn't, but they look at it in a sense that I don't need to learn more about pro wrestling. I get it. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy, and they're fighting over something. That's it. So it is, and it's not that simple, obviously. I want to mention at the conclusion of this, they just show the big screen real fast. And there's not like the, the randomizer function that we had seen so far. Instead, it's just, nope, Jim Ross is up there and it says he's on SmackDown Mm -hmm. and they cut to you and you look, uh, shocked, annoyed, pissed off all that. And you're shaking your head sort of in disbelief and stand up and take your headset off. And then, uh, they announced that Cole has been drafted to raw. And Cole is saying he's ecstatic to be a part of raw. Uh, he's called all, but two SmackDowns. And it looks like you're maybe getting a little emotional about it. They replay the uh, injury ankle or injury angle with, uh, Melina. And, uh, you're talking about it with, um, or Michael Cole and Lawler are talking about it. And then they go to you and you ask Mick what he thinks. And Foley said, you were an institution on raw. And you said, I guess it's time to escape the institution. <laughs> yeah. You, you wrote, you know, we'll talk about what Meltzer wrote, but you wrote on your own blog. Uh, as many of you know, I was drafted to SmackDown Monday night in the random lottery, random lotteries in quotes. Obviously that means I'll be leaving Monday night raw and my longtime partner, Jerry Lawler. I'm not happy about this surprise development. I also contemplated calling it a career Monday night and not going to Houston to tape SmackDown. After speaking with my wife and thinking on this matter until 6 a.m. Tuesday morning, I've decided to do the right thing for the fans who care and the talent who care and begin my new assignment. It's been explained to me that WWE SmackDown tenure on my network is a high priority within the corporation. Allegedly, my presence is needed in that effort. Many are speculating about when I learned of this development, the same time those of you were watching at home. I should have detected something within the demeanor of certain individuals either through their plastic poker faces or the perceived smirk that I thought I might've seen some of on their faces during the day. As far as going to Connecticut each week to do SmackDown post-production, that's not going to happen. Either Mick Foley can handle it or the WWE can install a DSL line in my home to facilitate the work. I will be missing working with the King as the wrestling biz is, uh, in one, if a guy could count his legit friends on one hand, even after a 30 plus year career, King is like a brother to me. I'll be an older brother. We will remain <laughs> friends. No matter what our team has been corporately imploded. I believe that I've been strongly loyal to the WWE, no matter the hands that were dealt to me over the years In my tenure, I have earned a good living of which I'm thankful. I will fulfill my commitments that I've made because unlike many in the business, my word is still my bond. I can't predict how long my SmackDown tenure will be, but I can promise no matter how long or short that I will do my utmost while sitting at ringside. I'm not the kind of man who will phone in a damn thing. My sincere thanks to all of you who have supported me on raw over the years. I hope I was able to provide you a memory or two, and hopefully we can create new memories now on SmackDown based on my professional experience. I look forward to each broadcast 
and treat each as potentially my last, which helps me motivated. Uh, so with that said, we begin another chapter of my crazy life of the unpredictable world of wrestling. I still plan on attending raw in my home market of OKC next Monday. And I hear tickets are still available. Anyone have any extras? Boomer yeah. sooner. Yeah. Uh, you know, people wonder, and I admitted this earlier, talked about this earlier, my leaving, my being angry. And I don't know that anger is the only word I would use to describe this thing. I felt like I was a little betrayed. But the bottom line was the night before the draft, sitting in the hotel bar in San Antonio, the, the, the quote unquote TV hotel where the staff and talents lost were staying. Uh, I go down to the bar cause we get in there on Sunday. Uh, and I have a drink with Kevin Dunn, the executive producer. Uh, he's a board member now and he's, you know, he's. Done a, had an amazing career there at WWE, without a doubt. Very, very profitable. And uh, we're having a cocktail. It's not unusual. Day before show, you know, we talk OU football. He's an OU football fan. Been in my home with his sons, and uh, you know, Jan treated him like gold, and as she should have, and she always would. And uh, I said, "Hey, Kevin, I got a question for you. Uh, is there any thought?" being given to separating King and I on raw. And he said, he said, God damn, JR said, you give us more credit than that. I said, we got the equivalent of Madden and Summerall, John Madden and Pat Summerall on our flagship show. Why would we ever think of screwing that up? I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, there is no reason type thing. So I kind of chalked it up that they're not going to screw with us. And, uh, well, I was wrong. So I don't know, you know, Kevin, see, I always believe that Kevin lied to me, but there's also another side of the story to be objective. He may not have known. It may have been an overnight decision made by, by Vince. He slept on it, got prodded. Well, Jr. said he didn't want to go to SmackDown. Oh God, we'll show him that. Uh, God, nobody tells me what they're going to do. You know, kind of shit. So that was my anger was that, that I felt betrayed and it would have been so simple, so simple for Vince to say, uh, uh, Jr. visiting to see you Monday afternoon. I go to Vince's office. She says, Jr. I was going to tell you that, uh, I am, uh, we're going to make some changes tonight. You may not like it, but let me tell you why we're doing it. I'm going to move you to SmackDown to work with Foley. You guys got great chemistry. Just want to freshen things up. We're going to move Cole over to uh, Raw, work with Jerry. We think it'll be, you know, I think it'll be a, the right thing to do. But we didn't have that conversation. It was all subterfuge all day. It's always, boy, is old JR going to be pissed off? He's, we're going to, I can't wait to see the look on his face. And when we were sitting there at the table, the, the picks getting ready to come up. They moved the, the handheld cameraman. Uh, all those guys, by the way, did a great job. I love the boys. They, they got right in front of me. Like, I'm, you know, like I'm getting a mug shot for a headline news about the serial killer. Clearly coming for a reaction shot. Bingo. So I got that, that they were, the camera was in place in my face before the selection was announced. So you knew, oh, of course, but I knew during the day and where I was hard headed. 
and couldn't believe the audacity that someone would want to leave break up Lawler and myself off the, off the flagship show after what all we had put into it and helped build it. And our, our voices are the soundtrack of that show for years. And some people say still is, uh, I just, I had a gut feeling and caused a lot of the smarky ass little writers, uh, who, who all of a sudden became geniuses in the pro wrestling business. Uh, they were, they wouldn't look you in the eye because their balls would not fit into a thimble that had plenty of room left for both nuts to fit into a thimble. Uh, I don't have, I didn't have a lot of respect for that. So the bottom line was, it comes back to one word communication. If we had all communicated better, including me, I should have gone knocked on Vince's door, say Vince, what's the story tonight? Are you going to, am I leaving raw or is Lawler leaving? What's, what's going on? Can you give me shed some light to it? I didn't have, I didn't do that. I was defiant and I didn't feel that I needed to ask that question because based on what Kevin Dunn told me the night before, what he said was logical. We got an established team with two voices that the fans have lived through for years and years. And remember my, my announcing just didn't start at WWE. Right. I had, I had a following for a long time before I got there. I was in the business Conrad 19 years before getting to WWE. And I know I was not always kind to them, uh, on, on air. Cause that was a tone and a tenor of what we were presenting rightly or wrongly, not endorsing it. But that's what it was. I think some of those words stuck. And I don't think this far never did like those. Uh, but nonetheless, if I had been more proactive and we just had a, we just communicated about it, then everything would have been different. I just felt like it was a rib on me. And to me, it was not rib material and it still is to this very day. Uh, so, and I was pissed off, man. I, I was on the phone. I, I was on the phone with my wife. God bless her soul for having to listen to my horse shit again. Uh, God, what a saint she was, man. I miss her. Uh, uh, so 6am and you know, I, I, I think there's probably the stories out there where the, the, the McMahon plane was going from San Antonio to Houston. I didn't want to ride with them. I turned it down. I'll figure out a way to get there. And when I, and of course I go on the road, I don't have any other clothes to wear. Nobody thought of that attire, television attire. So I go to men's warehouse, maybe a good sponsor for us someday. And I told him I was in a jam and I bought a, uh, the old proverbial Navy blue blazer and a shirt and tie and uh, to have something to wear that night. Once I decided so I'm going to do the right thing and not cut off my nose to spite my face. So. I was hardly at the building at all. So when I got to the building, they were they, no, nobody was real sure I was going to show up for hundred percent. Sure. That wasn't my intent. I didn't have to get clothing. So real simple. No, 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 uh, there was no, uh, you know, uh, some kind of conspiracy theory here, but if I had been communicated with, I'd have bought another set of clothing. Sure. And I, I would have kept it a secret. I would have I would have set, kept my mouth shut. So uh, I get there and Vince is, uh, Vince has been looking for it. He wants to see you. Okay. So sure, sure he does. Hey, before you get there, I want to ask, cause you, you said it and you've, you've handed around this before talking about these little pipsqueak writers or whatever you call them. Uh, piss ants. Okay. And then you said their, their balls will fit in the thimble. Who are we talking about? Oh, Conrad. There's a, there was a lot of, you know, I, I asked a writer this morning that I wanted some background on this situation. 
and uh, he he had already left. Uh, so I don't even remember who all the writers were, uh, that there were endorsing it, but who go back and reach, I, re- I really, I swear to God, if I had to put a gun, you put a gun to my said, who all were the, on the writing team at that time? I could not get it. Well, here's what I'm getting at. You have, um, some fucking disdain for them. Um, mm-hmm. where does that come from? I mean, you said, oh, now all of a sudden they're goddamn wrestling geniuses overnight. Well, they, they, those guys. When, when the writing group, and there were some very, very talented kids there too. Brian Gerwitz, very talented. He and I never always agreed on everything, but he knew I would, I was going to deliver what they wrote right? with everything I had. And I think he, he appreciated that. And, you know, we're friends this day in that regard, I kind of made past our bridges. And I get as older you get, you realize folks that you can't hold grudges for fucking ever. Come on. I got nothing against, uh, these guys for what they did because they were doing what they had to do to survive in their perspective. Uh, I mentioned Brian Gewertz, very bright, extremely bright kid. He, uh, he, uh, was the Ross, the rocks guy. And that was all good for me. It was all good for us. So, uh, but you know, those guys came in and because they didn't have the product knowledge of bell to bell product knowledge, they focused on things, uh, surrounding the core. And so then all of a sudden, when, when that's a primary influence in your production meetings is what can we do on the peripheral? Because we don't have a group in here that has a lot of wrestling product knowledge. So we're going to go to play our, to our strengths. So the show started taking more of a, sometimes a silly, uh, presentation. So if segment three is comedy, you know, then, then and it worked and we need to make, do more comedy next week, then more comedy next week. It, it's just, and I just don't believe that wrestlers are natural born comedians. Sometimes some of them are very, very funny, but it's usually organic, the best ones. So th- th- they just, they, they wrote a different show than, than I thought we should be writing more often than not. I thought the ratings reflected it. We didn't have the wild west of blood and guts and violence and aggression that we had in the attitude era. Uh, at least that's my recollection of it. They, they, then they got some success and then Vince gave them the occasional attaboy. Then, uh, a lot of those guys, those, those piss ants became bulletproof. And so, you know, I've had, Hey, he's told me this before. The old man said, JR, I heard you had a, uh, had a little heart to heart with so-and-so God damn it, man. You're going to break their spirit. You're talking about breaking people's spirit. Are you shitting me? How about during the middle of a live broadcast when you're in somebody's ear saying, say it, you son of a bitch, say it, God damn it. You know, that'd be a, what's that? What's that? Well, you can take it because you're in wrestling business. That's my goddamn point. Why don't we let these guys learn what being in the wrestling business is so we can again, peel better to our core audience. So that's kind of what I thought. And they, and where during the day, the guys would come up to me on, on a raw day and Hey, we're going to do this or. Uh, what do you think about this idea or, or whatever, whatever, but nobody said nothing that day. So you, uh, they are, they were bad poker players I ought to beat their ass playing poker. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what I mean. It's just, I don't, again, I, I don't know who all was on there, but look they're that's their lifeline. They're getting their check for a lot of those guys are just getting out of college or, 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 or didn't make it in the, in the, inter, in the mainstream entertainment world or whatever it may be. This is their lifeline. Their lifeline is Vince McMahon. 
And so you learn quickly. It's like I told you before the show, Connie, God damn it. When you're going to talk to the old man, you better converse and not confront because you ain't going to win ever. Even if you're right, you're not winning. So that's kind of what I mean by that deal. They, they became, uh, a victim of the system. And then they're, then, then, then when I would have a confrontation with them, or I would have say something to them, uh, usually as a result of a talent coming to me and said, Jr. can't do this. Why are they doing this to me? I'm very unhappy. I'm not focused. Well, they're giving me a plenty of information to say, well, your honor, he did tell me he wasn't focused. He did tell me he was unhappy. And so as a result of that, he may have been clumsy as, and that's why this other guy got hurt. I can't, you can't do that. You got to look at the big picture and cover your ass and, and that just wasn't happening. So, and me, Hey, look, I wasn't as easy as some mission world. I'm, I'm working every damn day. So, you know, it's just, a, it was hard, man. It was hard. And, but my biggest issue was just being misled. And, uh, was Kevin Dunn lying to me or did he not know, or he was sworn to secrecy. If he was, he kept his word, you know, hats off to him, but there was just, I just didn't understand why there was no more communication other than it's a rib on Jr. Fuck him. What's he going to do? Nothing. He's a wrestling guy. As long as he's booked, he's going to be happy. So you show up to SmackDown. You've, you've went by the man's warehouse. You're a little late. Not for any nefarious reason. You just didn't know you were doing this. You needed clothes. So you make that stop off, you get your blue jacket. Like you like it. So you're color coordinated for SmackDown and you show up. Vince wants to meet with you. You go in Vince's office and. Well, we shook hands. I have a new, a blue blazer on from men's warehouse. Look pretty sharp. Look like a, a chubby weatherman. And, uh, as I recall, the first thing he said was, uh, I'm disappointed in you. I said, well, that's ironic because I'm disappointed in you. And what do you mean? I said, look, you, I'm sure you got good reasons to move me to, uh, the, my TV deal and SmackDown. And I know corporately how important this, this television deal is to launch a second two hour primetime show. I get that. Uh, and I appreciate the confidence that I can help a brand. I said, but my point is, Vince, why couldn't you have told me? Why did this have to be so clandestine? Why did it have to, why did it have to come off feeling like, uh, dirty? Why, when I think about it, even to this very day, I want to shower. Why are we, why, why is it this way? And then of course, you know, well, we want to keep everything under wraps. And I said, Vince, I'm, who are you talking to here? Keep things under wraps. I've, I've been keeping things under wraps here. For years. And of course he gives me, you know, oh, I know, I know. So, so it's like, so to me, it was a, let's do, let's get a reaction out of JR. This is going to be funnier than hell. He's going to hate this. He's going to hate this and we're going to love it. So that's kind of how I looked at that, man. I just, I said, I don't understand. And you know, then he said, well, I, I'm sorry. You know, I, I whatever I, I, but I did the same thing to my son-in-law. I've changed his life all around. So it's like, what? He, he's making over a million a year. Cause I signed into his contract sitting on an Anvil case in Evansville, Indiana. I know what he's making. I'm still doing the payroll, even though your new, uh, uh, head honcho of talent relations is supposed to be doing it. I'm still doing it. So how, how am I not a team player and how can I not have your confidence and your, and your, and your, uh, trust? I don't get it. So. That's kind of where we are there or that he just, he just, 
and his excuse was, Hey, uh, you know, Raw's already established. SmackDown has to work. My network needs a shot of, 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 you know, fresh talent and big names. So we're going to send our top guy, Triple H and our top guy, JR. And he's trying to position it as, you know, you're, you're here to save this thing and we need you. Okay. Well, yeah, exactly. But that's not the issue. The issue is not, uh, that I don't appreciate that line of thinking. I hope you're sincere about it, but I, I, I don't know that you are sincere about it because I'm sure you talked to Hunter about moving over. Uh, and he's off the flagship show now and he's on SmackDown on a fledgling network. That's going to have less viewership than, than we've earned on raw over all these years. So, uh, I'm sure he knew, but the point of my, the point is always going to be the same thing. Why all the, why all the, the, the cloak of darkness around this thing? Why, why all this stuff? I said, I felt like, um, you, your writers knew cause they would look me in the eye all day. Yesterday in San Antonio, I was, it was like, I had the plague. They're bad poker players. So wh- wh- that's my issue. Why did it have to be this way? Only it was, I sensed Vince, it was for your own enjoyment and for the enjoyment of your, of your sycophants that surround you. Uh, that's what I, that's what I said. And I said, I don't think that was fair. I don't think that was professional and it was certainly unnecessary. I said, but I'm here to work and you ain't gonna have to worry about me calling shit in. You know, that ain't gonna have my ego's too big. Let's, let's, let's go down the rabbit hole for a minute here. Would you classify your relationship with Vince, uh, or maybe his relationship with you rather as love, hate? Yeah, I think hate might be a little too heavy. Uh, I just was the, for whatever reason, uh, maybe because I wore my feelings on my sleeve and I, sometimes I cared too much. You know, I said this before, you know, uh, wrestling is a, has always been to me, uh, a mistress and sometimes in our dalliances in our life, our mistresses, our significant others can betray us and they don't always love us back. And I thought sometimes that was kind of my scenario in WWE that even though I love the company, uh, I love my contributions there, my years there over a quarter of a century. I love that. Uh, I love the money. Be part of the most of all, unfortunately, uh, I did. I was a capitalist. Uh, I just, sometimes you just, maybe I was too easy to easy target. Maybe there's a lot of things about me. You know, I know that I've had writers say that in part in private meetings and writing meetings that Vince would imitate Jr. with the Bell's palsy and the paralysis of the face. And if that's true, can you imagine if that, all those guys, Several of them have told me that. So either they're all lying or for whatever reason, he felt compelled to do that and thought it was entertaining. And of course, you know that the horse lash are going to come from, if he giggles, the horse lash is going to come big time from the, from the gallery. So, uh, and so that was the deal, you know, Jr. just, he's going to wear his feelings on his sleeve. He'll be pissed off. This will be funny. This will be great. And I didn't oversell it on that. Uh, when I, when they made the, they made the announcement, I didn't throw my headset down or sling a chair, or, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I, I just went about my business, but I was sure as fuck wasn't happy about it because again of how it was positioned to me 
that I wasn't going to be leaving the brand. I wasn't going to be leaving Lawler. And so there we are. I just think sometimes he just, he had an easy mark and that was me to, uh, to get under their skin because he knew that I was very susceptible to selling the shit out of things I didn't like because he knew how I was in private with him. I had no issues uh, saying that this is not going to work or I don't think this is going to work, whatever. But yeah, I, I love hate, hate. The hate word is just such a bad connotation now uh, to me, uh, in my lifetime. I said this before Conrad, you know, I don't have any, I don't have any more room in my carry on to pack the negative shit. Just not going to do it. Do you think perhaps the love, hate, you know, maybe let's just expand on that for a minute. He loved the work you did, but he, he hated the way you did it. Yeah, it could be. He hated what I represented. He told me one time, he said, you know, JR, nobody's ever going to believe this, but you and I have more things in common than we don't. At the end of the day, all we are, are two rednecks who are, who are living our dream, uh, in the crazy world of pro wrestling, but we're all, we are, are two rednecks. That's what we are. You and me, and we'll always have that connection. Well, the rest of the story could perhaps be you and I are nothing but two old rednecks dot, dot, dot. And by the way, I'm not a fan of rednecks. So, uh, that may have been part of it too, but I, I just, the hate part of that equation is something I'm not uncomfortable. I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable with. I can tell you that when I was, when I didn't, uh, engage in renewing my contract with them, uh, at the end of March, which is another big snafu on his staff, because there's no way that you'd have my contract in before a week before WrestleMania. That's stupid. He admitted it. Stupid. It's crazy. You know, it was a bad position and somebody didn't point it out to him and, or they wanted me to be gone, uh, and not have a chance to re- return because he said to me, you know, JR, God dang, if you, if you stayed, uh, hell, I was gonna have you work WrestleMania this year, this WrestleMania. And I hadn't even been on television, you know? So I worked two times in 2018. Well, that's a great deal. JR It's a great job. No, it's not. It's not a great job. It's not a great job when you're sitting home and you're trying to battle depression and you're, and you're grieving for your partner. And your and your and Jan was that was all that was had such a tough year, but I also think that his sympathy for me and his empathy for me got me another got me a two year contract which I didn't ask for, but I got it and it was good money. Let me ask you when you when you have this meeting with him and you're do you meet with him in person when you tell him you're you're leaving and you're going to AW or is this over the phone? Oh no oh no 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 not in person I didn't I didn't want to go to Stanford, so it, it wasn't required. So you set up a phone call with him and, and you sort of break the news to him. Um, was he get reminiscent then or over the next few days or, you know, sometimes yeah. when you have a big conversation like that, it's almost like an emotional dump. He, uh, was very, uh, no, he was very, uh, emotional in that regard. As was I, you know, uh, I, it's hard to explain. He's got a soft heart more often than not, but we don't, but he doesn't want anybody to see it. I remember one time, uh, I'm walking through the grill position and we have something really good going. You know, the house is great. Everything's wonderful. And we, we kind of got over the hump and you know, the 83 week thing was now just a, in the rear view mirror. And I was excited about going out and working. And I said, Vince, God damn, man, what a night. I said, I bet our dads are really proud of us. 
And man, he started, he got tears in his eyes. He screamed at me, God damn it, JR. He didn't want to hear that because it touched a nerve because he'd been fighting. And I still think he is this day of trying to still please, uh, uh, his dad, Vincent J McMahon. And I, I, I believe that, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with sons wanting to emulate their fathers. If, if it's meritous, if it, if it's the fathers deserve it. Uh, so yeah, he's, uh, he's got a bigger, he's got a softer heart, but I think, I think signing me to a two year deal. I signed a two year contract, uh, on Friday before WrestleMania on Sunday. And that's the, that was the WrestleMania. I came back as a surprise and helped broadcast the, uh, uh, undertaker Roman reigns match. That was my assignment, the main event. So, you know, he, he's, that's what he talked about this year. He said, well, if you'd stayed, stayed around and I said, well, I, I just, you know, I've got a great opportunity. I'm going to take it. And, uh, it's a, you know, it's, a, it's the best paying job I've ever had. And, and we discussed that a little bit. He said, well, I can't match that. I said, well, you can match it. I said, no, 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 you, you, you can match it, but you you won't match it. And nor would I advise you if I was in my old role to match it, let him go. So, uh, that's, he, we had good communication and I, I've got a lot of those text messages that, uh, I kept them and, uh, they're very eye opening. I'm, I'm hopefully that they find a, a home in a nice way, positioned correctly, accurately, honestly, in the next book that's going to be out in, uh, ironically about WrestleMania time, uh, in 2020. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I, I do want to ask though, since we're down this Vince McMahon rabbit hole, you know, you, you look back on all the things, whether it was, you know, him firing you after Bill's palsy or supposedly mocking you in the meetings. And he certainly did the Dr. Heine skit and had you join the kiss my ass club and had you dance and drafted you here and told everybody, but you, and would oftentimes put you in embarrassing angles in your hometown. And when you look back on all that stuff, would you classify, I mean, cause Vince would always just deny and say, oh, it's just for the greater good. It's what's best for business. It's just good shit, blah, blah, blah. Is Vince mean spirited? Is, does Vince like to belittle people and humiliate people and just, um, as the kids say, flex nuts. I think, uh, unfortunately, yes, at times I've seen it and uh, I've carried out those orders from time to time. And I, of course we, you just discussed, I've experienced it. I remember the only time the things I have a hard time forgiving are, I forget. That's not good. I, I have a hard time forgetting is my children were very upset. And when the Dr. Heine thing came about, because their dad had been in intensive care for several days prior to that little touch and go thing here. And I had 13 inches of my intestines, uh, removed and they kept cutting and cutting and cutting so they could find healthy tissue. So I wouldn't have to have a, uh, colon, uh, of the bag. And that hurt my feelings. Uh, and then when, uh, Jan asked me a couple of times, why is he this way? And I said, I don't know, honey. He's had a, he had five stepfathers. I think it was four or five. He's had a rough upbringing, believe it or not. He's, he's strange to his own father. He's been raised differently. Uh, there's stories there. that are just, uh, you know, hard to believe 
And uh, I just, she said, I don't understand why he's doing this. You, you work so hard. You're, you're loyal. You know, you, you, you risk your own health to stay at work because you didn't want to be perceived as weak. Just like you told me stories about your own father. And my dad was that way. I could have a hell of a football game on Friday night. I guarantee you that if I did Saturday at my house, was the hardest day of the week for chores. He made sure of that. You got to suck them up, son. You're hurting, you're sore, bought your bruise, whatever. Get your ass out there and let's go. So that was dad. And that, and that was Vince. How I felt about him. I might be wrong. So I, I, I don't know. It's just hurting her. It hurt her some without a doubt. Cause she loved to, she loved to, the energy that he had. And he was, you know, he paid us a lot of money and, but sometimes Conrad, it's just not about singularly singularly. Now it's not all, it's never about it's singularly not always about the paycheck. It just isn't. So and, and once you get lucky and you get to a certain level of income and savings and accumulation, it becomes less and less about that. You know, you want to, I made sure when I went to AEW, I said, I want to know what kind of show we're going to have. What kind of, what's the philosophy here? And Tony comes very, he had it down. We're going to be, we're going to have an athletic presentation. I love that. So that encouraged me to sign more than the, than the money offer, which wasn't bad, but I, I really enjoyed the, the, how we're doing this thing. So she didn't understand that. And I said, honey, I can't, I don't have, I don't, I can't explain it to you. He said, when, he, when we see him together, he's always so nice and he's, he's been accommodating and he flies you here and he flies me there and this, that. And I said, yep, yeah, he could be as charming as anybody you ever knew. He can also be, maybe he feels guilty that he was too nice and he's got to level things out. I don't know the answers. Do you think part of it is, you know, he sort of likes being the fraternity leader in this, in this company? Like it is, um, and you see this in like big sales organizations, like car dealerships, for instance, you know, they, those guys can be one, one, one guy at home, but then when they get to the office, they're a different guy. And it's just in that sales environment that you're, you're in the rat race and you're, you're on the wheel and you just got to keep it spinning. You find yourself engaging in conversations and, uh, hijinks at the office that you would never normally do, but in this framework, it becomes acceptable. Do you think that that sort of culture inside WWE exists because of him and he's sort of spearheading it? I mean, this is, this is the same industry where as a rib guys would take a shit and other guys food. I'm not yeah. saying that Vince did that, but I'm saying, no, you're right. Perhaps he's just like, you know, I've got a, this is what we do. And, uh, you know, I'm supposed to do this. Any culture that is fostered in WWE, any mindset, any atmosphere is going to have Vince's influence all over it, either directly or indirectly, either he came up with it or, or he saw something that he wants to continue to perpetuate, or he's just, uh, you know, believes that he's got to shake the ship up a little bit and, uh, go from there, shake the, you know. This reshuffling the deck, don't you know how many times have they reshuffled their deck? It, it's irrelevant. It, now it's crying wolf. The draft doesn't mean anything because there's no there's no brand exclusivity, and that was a reason for part of the reason anyway. Conrad was for the draft was to massage these rosters, create new marriages, new storylines, new matches, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, and keep the brands exclusive. And now it's, 
it's just, it's just not that way. You got, well, there's this rule. We just made this rule up today, but we got this rule. We can go back on another brand and you're a wild card or whatever the hell they call it. I'm not sure, but nonetheless, bet your ass on this. At the end of the day, the atmosphere in WWE, good, bad, or indifferent stimulates from the head man End of story. Let me ask about this particular draft incident, you know, of all the things that he's done, he being Vince pronouns, pal, to try to humiliate you or belittle you or whatever, where does this one rank as far as really chapping your ass? Probably number one, you know, I, it's a, it may be a tie with the Dr. Heine thing because, uh, nobody really knew in WWE, uh, how bad, how badly uh, I was, how, how sick I was, uh, how serious it was. I had a, I had a, a perforated, uh, intestine that uh, I was poisoning myself. That's why I was having all those, um, those ridiculous stomach aches. And, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay home or wouldn't, you know, get it checked out because I was afraid of what I might find out. And then I also didn't want to be perceived as, you know, I already had enough strikes against me because of my heritage and my physical issues, uh, from far as my Bell's palsy and, you know, where I was raised. So I talk a little differently than some folks. Uh, so I, I, I don't know, man, it's the, the Dr. Heine thing was right there because of that. And it really upset my family. Uh, I don't think my kids even, my kids quit, quit watching raw a long time ago. Uh, even when I was on it <clears throat> or after I left, they sure didn't watch it. Um, and I don't think they, they probably couldn't find my TV in Oklahoma. I guess a state law or something. Uh, don't know. So I, I think Dr. Heine was got to be right there with it. Dr. Dr. Heine was mean spirited. I get a call that day and I'm on morphine. I just got home, just got home and I get a call and my little Jan, God bless her. She says, honey, it's Vince. Like, oh, okay. Okay. So here I am. I'm loaded. I am loaded. Uh, pain meds. I got staples and sutures and sh- all in my stomach and, you know, all the surgery, these drain, ho- drain, drain things to drain my, my carcass. Horrible. He said, uh, Hey pal, uh, just want to say how you're doing. I didn't get a chance to answer it. And he said, just wanted you to know that, uh, we got a little something special for you tonight on raw. I think you're going to really like it. You're going to really enjoy it. And so, okay. Oh, good. Thanks. Whatever. I thought it was going to be like, get well to Jr. Right. He's home. Jr's out of the hospital. Cause I blew up their, their com, The WW.com was, they were concerned about Jr. which I appreciate still do by God. But that was, uh, so then I, the lucky part for me was my, uh, uh, I, I, I fell asleep before the end of the raw in the 11th segment of raw, the money segment that talents would fight over to be in the closing segment of Monday night raw when it was a two hour show, not a three hour marathon. Cause then by then you're fatigued physically and mentally, uh, that they, that, that was the, that was the, that was the prime time. That was it, man. That was the money segment. So I think if they're going to do a thing with me, it sure won't be the last segment of the show. Boy, was I wrong again. And, uh, of course they had nurse slobber knocker. And, uh, of course the, 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 payoff was 
pulling a mannequin head allegedly to resemble me out of my ass. What did that mean, Conrad? Yeah, let's talk about what Michael uh, Cole is being written about in the Observer. Uh, Jim Ross for Michael Cole is on paper a plus for SmackDown, but there are real questions now as to the longevity of Ross and the company. As Ross has publicly stated, he contemplated quitting on Monday because of how it was handled and not going to Houston for the first SmackDown table taping. Excuse me. Uh, he says more than anyone else, he was taking the move harder and more personally, like it was a slap in the face, even though he was told it was not, it's no secret. The strange McMahon Ross relationship has its ups and downs and that Vince loves to humiliate Ross. Several in the company who contacted us after the show were hardly talking about this as a business move, but essentially Vince getting to humiliate Ross on TV because Ross made it clear he didn't want to move brands. Ross has about a year and a half left on his contract. It's uh, also become a running joke because McMahon has taken Ross off raw probably half a dozen times, always as a quote, permanent move, uh, but then gets frustrated with the replacement and brings him back. But the company has been about youth and faces and with Lawler at 58 and Ross at 56, it's a lot easier to blame the ages of the announcers on a product being stale than years of ignoring developmental and cutting off every rising star and then blaming them for not getting over. There were already people joking that in a few months, McMahon will change his mind again. And then Ross will be back on raw and probably book another double switch at next year's draft. The running joke is the last few times Ross has been tried to be replaced by McMahon on raw. The only people who believed he really did replace him were McMahon and Ross. As everyone else knew, he'd wind up calling Ross back. He would fast forward uh, in his, uh, or I want to fast forward what we're discussing here because he says uh, later in this article, two former major insiders within the company who worked closely with both McMahon and JR, but more directly with Vince, contacted us immediately saying that Ross should have understood how Vince's mind operated. And by publicly saying he wanted to stay on Raw, it was almost a guarantee because of how Vince loves to humiliate him that he'd make the move in the manner he did. And there was reportedly an exchange after the show where Ross turned down the invitation to fly on the corporate plane from San Antonio to Houston for SmackDown, which he was suddenly broadcasting and where McMahon told him that he risked his life on the show and how he ruined his son-in-law's life for, all for the company. Jeez. Another key reason why this could fall apart is the nature of raw and SmackDown raw goes live and that's it. SmackDown is taped on Tuesday, but then on Wednesday, Cole and Foley go into the studio and clean up the show soundtrack and insert new things that may have been decided upon. It's no problem because both live in the New York area, which is why the SmackDown color commentator has always been New York based, whether it was Taz or JBL or now Foley. With Ross living in Oklahoma and having a major outside business, running a restaurant and about to open a second restaurant, the extra day on the road every week and the idea of flying from SmackDown City to New York immediately after and then back to Oklahoma is a major change. Although the wrestlers still have their tougher schedules, Ross publicly on his website said he absolutely wouldn't do it. And presumably the WWE has agreed to do the DSL line. So he won't have to make the travel. When do you discuss the logistics of, cause I love the way you just fucking drew a line in the sand in your blog. I ain't fucking going. No, I wasn't. Oh, that was, I'm not going to do it because it's unnecessary. The only thing that would have made me do that. And I don't know if there's anything other than I don't want to breach my contract 
And so then I lose my royalties. That was another nice thing about leaving with class and dignity. This, this, uh, on this, my final final with them this year was I left with some class and dignity. I didn't screw them around. I didn't do anything. I just, at, when it came, my contract expired, I let them know several weeks in advance, I'm not going to negotiate another contract. And so I think that time, well, we can't pay you what you're, you know, we, I can't pay you what I paid you last year. He told me that. Okay. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Vince, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. I'm not renewing at any number. We're, we're, we let's agree to, to, that we're going to move our separate ways and, and try to reflect back on the positive things that we did together and the things we built. People understand, man, the talent roster was in a bad way in the mid nineties and the company was uh, on the verge of a bankruptcy for real. This ain't me being angry. It's not talking out of school, but we got talent in, we, we changed the, di the dynamic in the locker room. We, we, get, we facilitated the opportunities for some talent, including son-in-law, uh, who I had great confidence in. And I still do as a, as a talent. So, uh, you know, I, it just what's going to happen, but I, the ISD in line, that's another, that's an interesting thing. I, they, the, the show was, the show was edited and then, then they, they would come back in and I'd do fixes. So, uh, bridge this gap or, you know, fill this eight seconds in, or we had to make an edit here. So there's 12 seconds. This master not going to be there. So you got to change your out and your in. that can all be done just like you and I are doing it right now. Remotely. Okay. Yeah. And, and remotely. And so, uh, it just didn't make any sense. I said, Vince, God damn it. It's, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be more wear and tear and it's unnecessary. Now, the only thing I didn't plan on was I'd set by, I'd, I'd set by my phone until I got smart and realized these guys are not going to be ready, uh, to do wild lines until the show is edited. That's going to be sometime in the middle of the night. And I don't mean that as an exaggeration or an embellishment, a wrestling embellishment It's sometimes two or three o'clock in the morning. And more often than not, it's two or three o'clock in the morning, uh, of my time. So they would send, they'd either call me or text me or whatever and say, we're going to start at the top of the hour. Or we're, you're ready to go, blah, 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 whatever. And so then I would wake up and have a coffee or whatever and come do my wild lines. But there's no reason to make all that travel and ex incur all those expenses whatsoever. So I wasn't going to, but I wasn't going to do it. Now, would I have done it till my contract expired and moved on? Probably would have done that because I, again, don't want to breach my contract. I used to tell us that. God damn it. Don't breach your contract so your royalties are suspended. That's stupid. All right. So, uh, next up, believe it or not, uh, McMahon is going to be on stage with great Kali. I can't believe that's a real thing, but here he is. And he's going to hold up the new rock DVD. He calls somebody else. They answer, uh, McMahon says, who is this? And the guy says wrong number and hangs up, which is tremendous. They call a new number. Justin answers. He knows the password. He wins hundred K here is what we've been promised edge and John Cena. Uh, Cena winds up winning by count out about seven minutes in and afterwards, Batista meets edge on the ring apron and beats him back into the ring, takes him down with a clothesline. Uh, and the next raw draft pick is revealed. It's Batista. Uh, Batista is there for the reaction shot. Cena looks at Batista with big eyes, edge smiles and waves goodbye to Batista. Uh, fun little way to wrap the show up here, or at least for the world title perspective. We've got Vicky and Ed sharing a laugh, you know, over this whole 
situation with Batista being drafted. And next up, we've got MVP and Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer is going to have Colin Delaney, friend of the show, in tow. And MVP is going to win rather quickly, about two minutes. And then another SmackDown pick. This one is Umaga. And um, <laughs> Adam Lee is going to start talking about how Umaga is bulldozing through opponents on SmackDown. And you said, that's a snappy segue. Uh, <laughs> oh, what a dick. He, he, Speaking of Bluetooth, Bluetooth. Yeah. You, uh, you, you were yeah. not happy in that moment. Uh, Colin Lawler then recap the draft so far. You and Foley are talking about acquiring Hardy. And uh, Foley says, I know this is a big change for you, but I hope it's one you'll grow to appreciate. Then we've got JBL. He's going to smash Kofi Kingston in about three minutes with a clothesline from hell. And then Kane, who previously was on ECW, is going to be drafted to Raw. Vince is back out for another big money giveaway. Vanessa answers the phone. She's actually at the show. Oddly enough, the camera finds her almost immediately, uh, and she wins. And the five wrestlers from Raw who are going to be in this main event battle royal are CM Punk, John Cena, Kane, Batista, and Triple H. They're all wearing red t-shirts. ECW's group is Shelton Benjamin, Chavo Guerrero, Miz, John Morrison, and Matt Hardy. And then SmackDown is being represented by Big Show, Great Khali, Jeff Hardy, MVP, and Edge. And they're, of course, wearing blue shirts with the SmackDown logo. So um, the winner here, the winning show, is going to get two draft picks. It comes down to Show and Edge versus Cena and Hunter. Uh, eventually... Uh, Edge is the winner representing SmackDown. So the first SmackDown draft pick is Mr. Kennedy. And the second draft acquisition is Triple H. And Vince makes the final call of the evening and the winner declares, I love you, Vince. And then a piece of the set falls and sparks begin to fly and McMahon collapses at the shock of it all. And then another part of the set tips over and wrestlers run over trying to protect McMahon from the structure that fell on him. And they lifted it as medics pull Vince out from under it. And it looks a little silly as I wasn't actually lying on Vince, but more or less protecting him from more stuff that might fall. And they zoomed in as medics carefully turn him over while isolating his neck. And Hunter's asking, is he okay? Is he conscious? And the medics say he's breathing, but he's not conscious. And triple H says he's afraid if they move anymore, that this thing could collapse. They stretch her Vince away. And he asks what happened and he calls out Paul. Paul, when the show ends. So that's the reference for when he's talking to you about, God damn it. I risked my life. <laughs> yeah. I was, I watched that angle. You didn't risk shit. <laughs> the, uh, it the was, rating it was one of those sports entertainment angles. It wasn't a wrestling angle because I had nowhere to go. It was a sports entertainment angle that somebody pitched that involved him that let him be the focus and the writers got their way. And then they took another little step, maybe step. For the little balls that fit in little thimbles, uh, to ingratiate themselves to the chairman. So a simple deal. They play that game every day that they're, that they're in business. It, ask anybody that's got the balls to answer you. So yeah, that was, he risked his life. Well, okay. Yeah. The, the episode got a 3.4 rating one year prior without the million dollar giveaway. They did a, a 3.71 in 04, the draft did a 4.53 in 02, it did a 5.41. So you can see the trend of where we are. Yeah. It's and, not working. And, and this continuation, uh, I feel like, you know, there's some correlation here. You go back to like the summer 
of 2007. And of course we're talking about summer of 2008, summer of 2007 is when the Chris Benoit tragedy happened. We'll talk about that another time. I don't want to get sidetracked, but the payoff from that raw was supposed to be who killed Vince McMahon, who killed Mr. McMahon. Cause they blew up the limo and, and Bruce Pritchard has said the story was famously, uh, you know, Vince wants to get himself off TV. I can't be on TV if I'm dead. So we'll sort of redo the whole who shot Jr. thing from Dallas, a generation before, and we'll just kill off the Mr. McMahon character. Well, obviously when someone really dies, they can't continue that angle anymore. So they just shelve it fast forward a year. They're coming up with another way to fucking kill Vince. This is a little fucking silly at this point. Is it not? Yeah. Extremely silly because he's dead, but he's walking to the arena. He's dead, but he's taking the limo to the hotel. So if you're going to be dead and you're going to be true to the school of, uh, wrestling booking, then they wouldn't see you at all. <laughs> I mean, dead is pretty goddamn fine. fine. <laughs> and, and as far as the other remark there about who shot Jr., it's easy folks. Vince shot Jr. Easy case closed. Yeah, there you go. That, that really should have been the issue, uh, or the, the title of today's show. You know, I, I think a lot of people were looking forward to this because they know that raw meant so much to you and it was taken away from you, but maybe what they missed was it was the fact that they didn't think that you could be trusted. And it was another example of, of him trying to quote unquote, get over on you and humiliate you or belittle you or everybody can be trusted, but you and. Everybody's in on the ha ha, as you like to say. And, and I think Bruce has said that maybe Vince did this type of stuff to you because to use a wrestling phrase, you quote, sold it and yeah. had you just rolled with the punches and not acknowledged it and not sold it to use a wrestling term, then, then maybe some of this wouldn't have happened. And you categorize that as saying you were just too honest and forthright and cared too much. I care too much. And again, the. The, uh, you love the business, man. I still do. But sometimes again, it doesn't love you back. And that's a classic example of that deal. Uh, I, I just, I just felt I didn't deserve that type of treatment. Uh, and so, and you can, and, and look, somebody listening today can say, but God dang, Jay, are you making all that money? I was making good money. I really, and I've always appreciated that. And in this process, I should have never, I tried to promote the show in my blog by the un the unpredictable nature of that draft of 2008. And I was just honest by saying, I hope I don't leave raw. And I, it was true. It was a true statement that I was sharing my feelings with the fans. And little did I know that yeah, you can bet you think Vince read my blog. Hell no. But absolutely. But somebody did all thimble nuts did thimble nuts did it. And they wanted to make sure that he knew. And then it's like, and I could even say, it sounds like JR so done a challenge boss. You know, then you hear this slurping sound, <laughs> you know, it's just, whatever that fellatio <laughs> word is, that's what you're getting. Join us next week when we sit down and we evaluate the good old days. We've talked a lot about more modern era WWE recently. We're going to get in our way back machine next week. And we're going to talk about the great American bash from 1990 and what a historic show that was. It's the crowning of sting. Most people remember Sting's outfit more than the actual match, but the match is a hell of a match. It's your main event, Ric Flair, unbelievably 
um, losing to Sting. Finally, it feels like this was supposed to happen years prior, but it finally pays off here. Of course, I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. He is at JR's BBQ, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Grilling JR with Jim Ross. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network on YouTube or wherever you listen.